0: good morning and welcome to his people church and at his people church we are passionate about him and people we are passionate about jesus about loving him about obeying him about following him and we're passionate about helping other people to follow him Uh, uh, we believe the best way you could love somebody is to help them to follow jesus introduce them to jesus and show them um, his will his ways and and just lead them in 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 the great delight of being a follower of Jesus so welcome to our church and uh, there's our website at the bottom of the screen if you want to find out more get more info um, all previous messages are up there and we also upload all these slides to our web page every week so there's a lot of info you can go and find out more so this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about the power of the desert. And the power of the desert is really inspired by our amazing heritage as the church of Jesus Christ, going back hundreds of years. And it's, it's got its roots in this, the, this word or this, this journey, I want to say, called Lent. And we're going to be looking at it in Matthew 4. But let me tell you a little bit about Lent. And it's not something that um, I know many charismatic or Pentecostal churches um, usually celebrate. It's something that a lot of the traditional churches are very committed to celebrating every year. And, and what is Lent about? Lent is basically um, the 40 days before Easter where as Christians, literally for hundreds of years... They remember the 40 days that Jesus was tested in the desert. And they remember and and have a time of processing and working through the three temptations that Jesus faced in the desert. And as as we process these things, remember Jesus overcame. And as we follow him, he empowers us to overcome these same temptations in our lives. And so that's what we're going to look at in Matthew chapter four. But I want to actually just mention something interesting. You know, why do we every year celebrate Easter, and why would we even want to celebrate something like Lent and Christmas, for that matter? And I remember just about two years ago, before before worldwide lockdowns, hearing a story about um, it was literally written. By an atheist in America and he was um, I think some some leader in the whole whatever movement they have there and he was commenting about how clever Christians are and I didn't realize it but they're actually now in America atheist churches and apparently what they do they meet regularly weekly have a regular meeting time they sing together upbeat music they listen to an upbeat talk and then they have coffee and fellowship together. And I was thinking, my goodness, you know, they, they're doing all, all this stuff that we do at church. They've just taken God out of it, which I suppose is the essence of atheism. But this guy was just commenting about how brilliant this is, how good it is for their community what a good um, yeah and just singing the the, or not singing saying the, the, the benefits of these type of meetings you know for their community but he went on to say about how clever Christians were to initiate these annual festivals and celebrations like Easter like Christmas and you know for some churches like Lent and he was saying it's so good because it reinforces some of the important things that, for example, Christians believe, and he was saying that atheists should do the same thing, that atheists should introduce this thing of having regular annual festivals, celebrations, holidays, whatever. I don't know, I don't know what they'd celebrate. But anyway. But it got me thinking this is somebody who's not a Christian looking at our calendar, looking at at, at, at church services. And wanting to copy, literally, they're copying what we're doing. Just trying to keep God out of it all. Uh, but one of the things I was amused at is that, sure, Lord, I don't think we as Christians can get all the credit because ultimately, this is the Lord's church. He's He's the the He's the Lord of this church. He's been guiding us. Many, if you just read the Bible, many of the festivals and celebrations in the Old Testament was instituted, instituted by God. And so, so much, and I'm always uh, often so aware of, even you look back in your own life and you look at some, some really so-called clever good things you do, but you just know that was God. He was leading you. He was giving you those great ideas, wonderful ideas. But I'm saying that all to also just come back to this concept of lent it's something that many christians for hundreds of years have celebrated and i believe there's such value in annually going back to 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 important truths found in scripture and 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 not forgetting the the depths and the richness of our christian heritage but building on it yes we don't want to get into religion and dead religion and just you know doing stuff and it's got no meaning and there's no significance and there's no life on it but i believe i believe there's so much life on so much of what we have have made religion if we can just um just say lord show this to us with fresh eyes holy spirit reveal to us how to how to approach this how to see it in a fresh way this year there's so much we can grow and learn through these things, and so so let's just go to my notes. Little uh, I got on my notes over here. Lent is a time to experience the transforming power of the desert, and that's why I've entitled this message "The Power of the Desert," and to prepare our hearts for the resurrection power we celebrate at Easter. Easter is coming in South Africa the first week in April, and we are it's always a highlight on our calendar as believers. But what I love about Lent is just the preparedness, the the journey that we're on towards Easter. Lent is an invitation for us to join each year in Christ testing in the desert for 40 days. And that's why historically um, Christians for 40 days before Easter have celebrated Lent and particularly looked at just the testing that Jesus went through in that time. And I just want to mention, I'm using the word testing because in the original language, the word for temptation can and is very often translated as testing. And this word testing and tempting uh, can can be used interchangeably. In Christian uh, tradition and many Bibles, it's definitely they use the word temptation. But I just to take a fresh t- uh, angle on it and a fresh look, I'm actually going to be using the word testing. And so let's just go on. What what is the significance of desert time, and and why are we calling it the desert now? Uh, throughout Scripture and in the history of the church, the desert has been a place of spiritual preparation, purification, and transformation. Wow, three big words: preparation, purification, and transformation. We all want that. We are we pray that we desire that, but. It's in these desert places that God does so much in our lives. And, and, and we've reflected on this just looking back over the season of lockdown that it, for many it has been a desert time. But look at what the Lord does in these times. He prepares us. He purifies us and transforms us. And it's, it's kind of those seasons where, Lord, I don't know if I want to go through that again. But when I look back and see what you've done, I'm like, sure, Lord, I'm so glad we we did. We went through it with you. The desert provides a rich metaphor for finding a space where we can disengage from people and activities to be alone with God. Each of us needs to identify and protect a desert space with God. And, you know, in the Bible, I mean, for example, Moses spent 40 years in the desert when he was just a shepherd tending his father-in-law's sheep. And God was preparing him for the great leadership assignment God had for him. Uh, Moses himself fasted for 40 days. We see just in the Bible in the Old Testament, David, we see Elijah, even the children of Israel. So many Bible characters spend time in the desert. We see in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle spent, spent uh, th- uh, three years in the Arabian desert. The Lord preparing him for the ministry he had. And Jesus himself, the 40 days he spent in the desert. And so this whole concept of desert. Now remember, if you, in Judea, when you kind of walk out of many of those towns and cities, there are deserts around. And, I, and, and, and some, some translations actually use the word wilderness because it's, really, it's a place where you move away. As we say, uh, you disengage from people and activities to be alone with God. And so it doesn't mean that you have to get on a plane and fly to a desert somewhere in the world to encounter this preparation purification and transformation a desert is just a place where you where you are separate from the busyness and all the demands that are placed on us and and i want to say we can have we can grab desert moments in our busy days absolutely having some time with the lord in the morning before we get going that is just it's time away from the busyness what I have found uh, as a way that really helps me just to, to spend time with the Lord is just having a time of putting on some worship music and being still in the presence of the Lord. I, I do it so often. I find so often, even when I'm driving somewhere, instead of putting the radio on and, and listening to stuff, just putting on some worship music and just focusing on the Lord and just and just enjoying the The closeness of his presence those are desert moments with the Lord that we can we can grab in the midst of our busy days and so and so this is this isn't just you know for the great spiritual giants who have a desert in their back door this is a reality for every one of us I want to talk more about the desert and um, just this is going back in church history now in the desert that solitary undistracted place We position ourselves to open the door of our hearts as best we can so that Jesus' presence and his will will have full access to every area of our life. We slow down to make this kind of loving surrender possible. Now, at the end of the third century, in the deserts of North Africa, okay, just a couple of miles north of here, an extraordinary phenomenon occurred. Christian men and women began to flee the cities and villages to seek God in the desert. They saw how easy it was to lose one's soul in the entanglements of society. So they pursued God in a radical way by moving to the desert. They became known as the Desert Fathers. And we have such a rich history all along North Africa, from Egypt, across uh, Libya, modern-day Libya, and right across North Africa, men and women moved out of the towns and cities to see God. And these men and women were transformed in their times with God. The literature that came out of that time is still inspires us today. Men and women who wrote down um, just the inspiration and revelation they got from God in those times. Just such a rich Christian heritage. And look at what... Um, what Thomas Merton wrote about these people, these desert fathers. He said this, Society was regarded by them as a shipwreck from which each person had to swim for his life. I like this metaphor. To drift along passively, accepting the values of society, was simply a disaster. They knew they were helpless to do any good for others As long as they floundered about in the wreckage. Talking about the desert fathers. But once they got a foothold on solid solid ground, things were different. Then they had not only the power, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. And just such a beautiful description using this description of of a shipwreck of the impact these desert fathers had on their society, on their world. And this is the impact God wants us to have as we have those desert spaces and just cherish them, don't run away from them, and, and, and what God wants to do through our lives as we embrace them. I want to tell you the story about what Abba Paul said. And just I'm going to put up one quote, but let me give you the background to this. Now, Abba Paul was one of the Desert Fathers. Now, the word Abba simply means father, and it was a term of term of respect um, that was given to these uh, to the Desert Fathers. It's similar as even today there are you know respectful terms like pastor, for example. That that's kind of what it meant, and Abba Paul had a, a young man he was mentoring and this young man's name was anthony and anthony um basically he got an invitation to go to the emperor in constantinople and go and and go and uh, speak or i don't know meet with the emperor and so this young man anthony came to his mentor, Abba Paul, and asked him and said, um, should I go? What do you think? Should I go and see the, the emperor? I mean, what an honor. What a, what a privilege to go and meet the emperor. And this is what Abba Paul said to his spiritual son. He said this. He said, if you go, you will be called Anthony. But if you stay here in the desert, you will be called. Abba Anthony. You will be called Abba Anthony, and it was just that, if you spend time in the desert, it's synonymous with spending time with God. There will be a growth and a maturity in you, and people will recognize that you, you also are a spiritual leader or spiritual father in their lives, and that's and that's who he became to be known. He never went to go meet the the emperor. He decided to rather choose to spend time in the desert. And the story is, is, is told of, of, um, of him spending 20 years in the desert. And when he came and he, when he went back into the towns and villages from where he came. Incredible wisdom. People spoke about what maturity, what, how healthy he was in mind, uh, uh, soul and spirit in every way and he had many years of fruitful ministry really impacted communities just with his wisdom with his teaching with his insight and he lived many years and and in 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 these last few years he actually went back into the desert and and people basically didn't hear from from him again but had an amazing season of fruitful ministry and and if you just think about jesus you know 30 years He was just a carpenter's son, working in the carpentry shop, doing carpentry every day. But that was also very much a time that the father was preparing the son for three years of high impact, high demand ministry. And so, the power of the desert. But let's look at Jesus. Jesus himself entered the desert of testing. There he was tested with three Compulsion: the three compulsions of the world. And I'm giving a summary, and we're going to unpack it as we go. To do, Three compulsions of the world. Firstly, to do it yourself, turn stones into loaves. Then, to be spectacular, throw yourself down. And to be powerful, I'll give you all these kingdoms. There he affirmed God as the only source of his identity. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So I'm giving you an executive summary because we're going to now Look at these three temptations that Jesus endured and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. So it's also found in Luke and, and Mark also gives a brief summary of Jesus' temptation. But let's read it and then I'm just going to comment and we're going to unpack it. From uh, Matthew 4 verse 1, the testing of Jesus in the desert. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, I'm sure. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I just want to unpack this this portion of scripture a little bit. So firstly remember that just before this Jesus was water baptized and literally coming from the cool waters of the Jordan to the blazing Judean Judean desert to 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 endure the season of fasting and desert time and seeking God the contrast was huge. Remember it, it was at his water baptism that year he's his hearing the father saying from heaven this is my son with whom i'm well pleased and here he's going into the desert and being tempted by the enemy and experience those that season where you're just not hearing from god you're not sensing his presence it's just a very different season but yet what is mind-blowing it says he was led by the spirit of god into the wilderness now remember this is jesus and the bible says that he was tempted in every way just like you and i are tempted this is and, and and this was so important for him to go through this because we can learn lessons on how to overcome temptation because we face these same kinds of temptations. Now I know I used to read these temptations and think, oh, that's a bit weird. Oh wow, well, I've never experienced like that. You know, get taken to the top of a temple and being told to throw down. That's a bit weird. But if you if we just if we just take a little bit of time and unpack it, you'll be amazed at how common and every day these testings or these temptations are. So, and after fasting 40 days, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him uh, and said to him, it's very interesting, um, the, 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 the scripture over here, the, the word actually for devil in Aramaic is, is actually the word accuser. And in, in, the, in the, um, the Greek language, it is the slanderer. Yeah, um, Here, uh, the word tempter is used. But the word accuser and slanderer are such accurate um, descriptions of the work of, of the enemy. I mean, I remember Jen and I talking about sometimes when we've gone through you know the false accusations and the slander and really you know sometimes people think yeah you know if you're kind of doing the devil's work you know you're a full-blown satanist doing all kinds of you know whatever rituals hey 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 sometimes just listening and more importantly speaking words of accusation and slander is absolutely doing the work of the enemy and he came verse 3 and said if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And I want us to unpack that. And so on the next uh, the screen, I've put those words. That is the, the testing that he gives. If you are the Son of God, and it's actually the very same words for the second temptation. He says, if you are the Son of God. Now remember, Jesus had just been water baptized, and he heard the Father saying for, from heaven, you are my son. <laughs> he hears God saying, "My son," the very thing he's just heard, the very word he's heard from heaven, is the very first thing the enemy comes to test him on. F- folks, remember the scripture Jesus spoke about sowing seed, and it speaks about just the the the, the, the birds coming to c- coming to steal the seed, like immediately after it's sown. Folks, sometimes. The very word, the very promise you get from God is the very thing, the first thing the enemy goes for, is the very thing. Jesus just heard the Father saying, You are my son with whom I am pleased and whom I love. And it's the very thing, if you are the Son of God, questioning the sonship. And I I, want to just say, this whole question of if you are, what is he saying? What is he saying when he says, if you are? He's asking, are you? He's questioning his identity. He's questioning who God has said he, he is, who God has made him to, to be. Who are you? Prove yourself. That's literally what he's saying. Okay, who are you? Prove yourself. Show me who you are. And, and I want to just, I was, I was really thinking about this. This need to prove ourselves. To show who we are. Show what we're made of. Um, you know, show me what you got. That whole thing is, is for some people such a strong motivation. There, there have been phenomenal things done and built. Businesses, ministries, etc. Out of this desire to prove yourself, to show what you've got, to show your mettle, etc. This whole thing. And it is in essence, I'm saying, is that rooted in a godly motivation to glorify God, to honor God, to please God, to serve God? Is the motivation this this question of who are you and proving who you are? Is that a godly motivation? And I and I just want to put this up here. The whole question of proving that you are or proving that you are not. So many people are living from a place of trying to prove either what they are or trying to prove they are not something. And the are not. I've put some of, uh, some of these things on the screen. People are trying to prove that they are not dumb or stupid or an idiot or slow or foolish or immature or ugly or weak or a kid or childish or immature or unlovable or unworthy of love or a quitter, or a failure, or a loser, or a, a nobody, or a never ad, never amount to anything, uh, or will never succeed, add in, etc. What are these? These are accusations, slander from the enemy. And the reality is there are people around us that have been used by the enemy to throw these things at us you're a loser you're ugly you you will never amount to anything and so often we get that and we spend our lives trying to prove that that is not true and and we live from this place of trying to prove these things to people who've spoken these accusations to us and folks it it could be a reality for for you it it has been you know, some of these things I've experienced. There have been times where I've been motivated by that. I want to submit to you, is that a temptation that as we look towards the, the, the cross, as we go towards Easter, are there some motivations in your heart that the Lord is wanting to come al- into your life, into my life, and say, that's not a holy motivation. That's not a pure motivation. That's not a desire to honor God, to serve Him, to love Him, that motivation to try and prove either you are or you aren't. And I've put some of the, the, the R's. Show that you are. <laughs> and, and here we go. Trying to show that you are intelligent, attractive, cool. Oh man, cool. If you're a teenager today, cool is the word, the gold standard of what you need to be. Trying to prove you're cool, you're worth it, strong, better, resourceful. Trying to prove that you're a man or that you're a woman or a lady Trying to prove that you're grown up or mature, witty, anointed, gifted. Who, if you're in ministry, this is big. Trying to prove that you're anointed or gifted or called, okay, or lovable or worthy of love or funny or that, trying to prove that you're a leader or show that you're a leader, a servant. Persevering, kind, wise, loving, caring, compassionate, faithful—just about choose any virtue in Scripture. If, you, if the if the enemy has slandered you or accused you of not being any of those, but now we are trying to prove to him or to the people who made those accusations, those are not holy, noble desires to live from. That's not that's not a righteous place to be motivated from. And I believe the Lord is coming in this season to say, son, daughter, will you surrender this to me? Will you surrender this to me? And how did Jesus overcome this? How did Jesus overcome this, this accusation? Well, I just want to say that um, the essence of it, if you look at the essence of what he's saying, he's saying when he says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You see he's saying (laughs) this is what you need to do to prove that you're the son of god now remember jesus hungry he's been fasting for 40 days so this thing of having some bread you know i can imagine you look around and just suddenly all these stones are looking like bread but what is what is the enemy he's 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 tempting jesus he's he's provoking jesus to do it yourself to do it yourself, show them what you've got, okay, and this this kind of temptation, it often provokes the competitive spirit in us, now listen, in schools today, I mean, competition is how so often teachers, educators try and get people to do things, I mean, it's always points on the board, at schools, you have different houses, and there's always competitive, Competition can motivate you and us to do a lot of stuff. And different people are more competitive than others. But we live in a society where it's so ingrained in us. And then if the enemy can come in and, and provoke you in that area where you are somehow competing against somebody else, God forbid it be another brother or sister or you know somebody in the kingdom, where we are trying to compete and trying to prove that we're better. Folks, this is more common than you would imagine. I've been around the block. I've seen some stuff. This is more common. But I'm just saying, this is not the place that God wants us to live from. The reality is if we live from this place, it's exhausting. It's draining. It is, eventually you just burn out. I believe if if we actually had to go and analyze and look at many people who burn out, and you look at what was driving them, with these things, trying to prove themselves, getting into a competitive thing. And then also, what is the enemy doing? This this command uh to turn these stones into bread is appealing to the lust of the flesh, and that's a very traditional sort of turn, appealing to the lust of flesh. Jesus is hungry. And and this is such a this is like the common temptation, tempting us with the things of the flesh jesus was hungry it's a natural desire but but taking that natural desire and twisting it and and causing it to make us do things that don't please god that is just not the place god wants us to live from and so this was a temptation to use god's gifts for selfish purposes see jesus had power and the anointing to do miracles to do signs wonders and miracles and here he's being tempted by the enemy to use that beautiful power of god that's meant to glorify the father honor honor god to use it for selfish purposes for food to for personal gain this this is the essence of being tempted in the flesh. Satan suggested that Jesus use his miraculous powers to p- provide food for himself. Charles Spurgeon, listen to what he said. He bids the Lord prove his sonship by catering for himself. And yet that it w- would have been the surest way to prove that he was not son of god wow okay how did jesus respond but he answered it is written it is written wow you know know what's amazing i mean jesus has jesus has authority he has ten thousand legions of angels jesus could have just rebuked satan and wow it would have been over but he doesn't he says it is written you know the amazing thing? remember jesus is modeling to you and me how to overcome temptation and he says it is written he's quoting scripture folks he's quoting bible that's what he's doing why we know that the word is the sword of the spirit he pulls out the sword of the spirit and he says it is written i remember years ago hearing a story of a pastor uh, david yongi Chow, who was on a mission to japan and while he was trying to go to sleep he just sensed like like a, a, a demonic presence at the end of his bed and he just felt he just felt that he needed to speak the word and he started quoting scripture greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he just started speaking the word and he literally heard and sensed this, this demonic presence saying, I'm going, I'm going, just stop speaking so much Bible. <laughs> now, I love that story. I heard it many years ago, but, but what was Pastor David Yonggi Chao doing? He was doing what Jesus did. It is written. Every single one of us can speak scripture. You see, in spiritual warfare, one of our greatest weapons is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And Jesus said, it is written. And, and, and if we look at the temptations, that's what he does every single time. He pulls out the sword of the Spirit and he says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, remember, there are two words in the Greek language for word okay the first one is logos the written word but you see so Jesus is quoting when he says it is written he is referring to the logos and he's quoting actually Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 over here and he says man shall not live by bread alone but by every word the word there the Greek word is the Greek word rhema which is the spoken word of God it is the word of God that the Holy Spirit is breathing upon where the life of God is. He's saying, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that's, that, that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and he's saying over here, my life is not defined by my hunger. There's, there's, a, there, there's, a, greater, there's a much greater source of my life. Literally, Jesus says in, in John that, that, that my bread is to obey the father and look at what what is he saying over here he says i choose to be defined by my father by his word by who he says i am and not you i will not be controlled by your accusations isn't it beautiful just that scripture says i will be defined by the word of god i will not be motivated to do things out of out of trying to prove myself out of voices from the past saying you're not this, you'll never amount to this, you can't do this, you'll never do. I will not be defined by those voices. I will be defined by my Father. I choose to listen to my Father. The rhema, the spoken word of God, what the Holy Spirit speaks to me by, by, the, by the Father, that will define me. I will not be defined by your accusations. And I just got this, this kind of picture as I was preparing. It was the picture of a puppet on a string. And you know, a puppet on a string is totally controlled by the strings. I hope you can see the picture over there. And I was saying, you know, those, those kind of things we have in our life, trying to prove we are or we aren't, to voices from the past, those are like, are like dancing to, to a string that can be pulled. And I was, I was saying, it's the Word of God. That can come and cut those cords. The Word of God, spoken by the Spirit of God, the Rhema Word of God, what the Spirit of God speaks to you to cut off all those accusations from the accuser, all the slanders from the accuser. The the, the Word of God comes and cuts the strings of that puppet so that you can't, so that you're no longer controlled by these words and accusations from the past. I want, to, I want to just uh, read the rest of, of this, um, this scripture. And, and I want to read to the end. And next time we will carry on looking at, at, at exactly the details of what happens in the other two temptations. So let's, let's, but let's just read it. It says over here in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God. There we go. Again, remember I said the second temptation. He asked the same question. Throw yourself down, for it is written. Now notice, the enemy is now using the scripture as well. He will command his angels concerning you. And next time I'll explain why the question mark is there. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So he's quoting the scripture here. Jesus said to him, it's actually from Psalm 91. Jesus said to him, Again, as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I just love it. And this is the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a high, very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We've just looked at the first temptation. I'm so looking forward to just unpacking uh, exactly the depth and the significance of the other two temptations next time. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray as I was speaking and as I put up those, those things that could be driving us from the past. Either the things we are trying to prove we aren't things we're trying to prove we are those things can can drive us literally as i said to the point of burnout that's not god's plan i want to pray i want to pray that that the lord using the sword of the spirit would cut the cords of those things that have been controlling us and motivating us for years that our sole motivation would be for the glory of god To obey him and love him and serve him and be fulfilled in him and just experience his delight in us. And and that everything we do would flow from that place of delight, not trying to prove it. You see, the enemy was trying to get Jesus to prove things. No, no, no. We don't we don't do things to prove things. Jesus proved everything on the cross. We are fully accepted and loved by him. So let's pray. So Lord Jesus bring my life and I bring the life of every single person listening to this. Lord, you know the areas that the accuser has come and, and, and said, prove yourself. If you are, fill in the dot. If you are not, fill in the dots. Lord, we bring you all those accusations right now. Lord, by your spirit, just reveal, reveal right now any of those accusations that have driven us those words those th- those thoughts that have driven us lord we bring them to you and right now we just break the power of those words we break the power of those accusations over our lives we say we will not be motivated by them we will not serve and and be driven by those accusations lord you said we shall love Every word, rhema, that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray. I pray that you would come and you would speak rhema word. Bring to remembrance scriptures of life, scriptures of identity, scriptures of sonship. Bring to remembrance your word. Lord, as Jesus said, it is written. Lord, and he cut off the accusations by it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, I pray for everybody listening to this that we would literally find life and sustenance by your promises. Lord, may we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I pray this for every one of us. May we live and draw sustenance from your word. Jesus name Amen God bless you